Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Coming up on Stu Does America, I'll talk to an expert on cryptocurrency about the state of Bitcoin before the government comes in and ruins everything, as is tradition. Little Debbie is getting into the ice cream business, which is frankly the most important thing happening in the world right now. And speaking of frozen treats, Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer announced his retirement today. And Joe Biden tagged along to mumble some words about the Constitution and black women, which was not awkward at all. Let's dive into what's next for the nomination process as we do Breyer. Stu does America. You know, I'm not a man to turn down ice cream. I don't think Breyer's is my favorite, but you know, I'll eat it. Someone once told me, though, it's not actually ice cream on the container. It says it's just a frozen dessert. I don't know what that means, but I'll eat it anyway. I mean, look at me. You can tell. Stephen Breyer is stepping down from the Supreme Court, and he uh, started off the festivities today as we move toward a new nomination by announcing his retirement and giving a very nice flowery speech about the Constitution. It's an experiment. And I found some letters that George Washington wrote where he said the same thing. It's an experiment. That experiment existed then because even the liberals in Europe, you know, they're looking over here and they're saying it's a great idea in principle, but it'll never work. Uh, But we'll show them it does. That's what Washington thought. And that's what Lincoln thought. And that's what people still think today. And I say, well, I want you, and I'm talking to the students now. I say, I want you to pick just this up. It's an experiment that's still going on. And I'll tell you something. You know who will see whether that experiment works? It's you, my friend. It's you, Mr. High School student. It's you, Mr. College student. It's you, Mr. Law School students. It's us, but it's you. I mean, he seems like a really nice guy. Um, I can't explain why he didn't apply any of those constitutional thoughts while he was on the Supreme Court. I mean, it must really be bugging him that the day he announces his retirement is the day he uh, finds out about the Constitution. Look, I mean, we can sit here and pick apart his career. I I don't think there's any reason for us to do that. You know that I don't think he rules correctly on a lot of these uh, important cases and important issues in our country. Um, But just let me not be negative for one time. I I know we're going to try something new on the show today. Uh, Can you can you believe that guy is older than Biden? I mean, he seems completely with it completely coherent, able to speak, full sentences, complete thoughts, all sorts of things we haven't seen from the president in decades, let alone what he's doing now as he's in office. Uh, man, you know, a lot of times we say, oh, these guys are so old. Let's let's make some real distinctions here. Some people in their 80s completely fine to do things. I mean, I don't think Breyer's going to disagree with me on almost every ruling, but uh, he seems to be with it. Donald Trump is in his 70s. He, you know, look, Trump is Trump, but I mean, he never seems to be lost for words. Uh, Biden, totally different story. Let me give you some of that incredible Joe Biden wisdom as he talks about how he's going to select a black woman. Choosing someone to sit in the Supreme Court, 
I believe, is one of the most serious constitutional responsibility a president has. Good, good, good. Our process is going to be rigorous. Yeah. I will select a nominee worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy of excellence and decency. Will ya? While I've been studying candidates' backgrounds and writings, I've made no decision except one. The person I will nominate will be someone with extraordinary qualifications, character, experience, and integrity. And that person will be the first black woman ever nominated to the United States Supreme Court. Mm. It's long overdue in my view. I made that commitment during the campaign for president, and I will keep that commitment. It doesn't strike me as, you know, legal. Can you just, I mean, can, when you're trying to fill a government position, can you just be like, I'd like a white dude. Is that something that can happen? I I don't think, now you could do it. You could be a hidden racist, I suppose, and pick only white dudes. Um, But he's being an overt racist by just picking one specific race and gender. Uh, Very, very strange. Again, he says he's only made one decision, but that decision eliminates all uh, people, all Asians, all whites, all Hispanics, all Native Americans, all everybody except all black men. Only black women are available. So he's eliminated 98 percent of the possible candidates and says, I've only made one decision that it's going to be a black woman. Okay, that's kind of a big one. I mean, you eliminated 98 percent of the population uh, when you figured that out. The other part is um, it does seem to me that you're making decisions based on the color of someone's skin. And of course, in addition to that, their genitals. And that is just a wonderful way to pick a Supreme Court justice. I mean, how can anyone ever be sure? We can all sit back and we can say, you know, uh, the this pick is a great pick. Maybe that's what people will believe after this is over. But there's going to be a big asterisk next to her name, because as we know. You may very well have the most qualified person in the country to be a Supreme Court justice, be a black woman. It's very possible. However, if you don't look at 98 percent of all available people for the job, there's no way to ever know. You will never know whether this person was the most uh, was the most qualified because you never looked at 98 percent of the population. That is disgraceful. And it's supposed to be the type of thing we're moving past. He went on and talked about his timeline for the pick. I will listen carefully to all the advice I'm given and I'll study the records and former cases carefully. I'll meet with the potential nominees. And it's my intention, my intention to announce my decision before the end of February. I have made no choice at this point. Once I select a nominee, I'll ask the Senate to move promptly on my choice. In the end, I will nominate a historic candidate, someone who's worthy of Justice Breyer's legacy, and someone who, like Justice Breyer, will provide incredible service on the United States Supreme Court. I do believe that part is true. He will pick someone who sucks as much as Breyer, probably worse. So that's definitely possible. Uh, But again, he couldn't pick the exact Stephen Breyer because he's white and he has a penis. Uh, Those are the two main problems with Stephen Breyer. He's wonderful in all these other uh, uh, areas, but he couldn't get the job because of those those things. Again, I don't know if that's illegal, but it certainly feels illegal. Doesn't it feel illegal to just be able to say, yeah, you know, 
I'm just going to go for white people or black people or Asians or whoever. That just seems like the wrong thing for a president to be doing. I don't I, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'm wrong on that. Now, the left, of course, is running interference for Joe Biden here. The New York Times put out a piece that said Biden is not the first president to promise his his nominee is from a, a specific demographic group. And it goes back to Ronald Reagan, who weeks before the 1980 election said this, and you tell me if this is, if he was saying the same thing Biden was saying. Now, Biden's saying, I'm going to pick a black woman for the Supreme Court. Here's what uh, Reagan said. It's time for a woman to sit among our highest jurists. Those, are those, is that the same thing? Am I misunderstanding? First of all, is it time? I don't know. It's time for the most qualified person to be there. If it's a woman, it's a woman, it's a man, it's a man. Who cares? No one cares. No one cares. You want to have the best person doing the job. Uh, I don't know if uh, that phrasing actually adds up to a guarantee of picking a woman after the election. He's certainly not saying it like that. I mean, they're reading into it a lot. And maybe they're reading into it because his of his actual pick. And this is uh, not a moment of backing Biden here. This is a moment of criticism. Uh, Ronald Reagan did pick a woman when he got uh, a Supreme Court opening. He picked Sandra Day O'Connor, who wound up being a bad pick, who was moderate-ish at best, and who wound up voting for Roe versus uh, Wade and siding on the side of the left against life issues, something that was vitally important to Ronald Reagan. He wanted someone who would have overturned Roe versus Wade, clearly, and Because he decided, I guess, according to the Times, although I don't really read that out of a statement, but if he decided to pick just based on genitals, well, then he didn't pick the person he should have picked. No matter how he selected, he picked the wrong uh, person there with Sandra Day O'Connor. But, I mean, how is that a backing of what Joe Biden has done? Now, we are already getting sort of a narrow list, uh, a, a short list of people who might be the uh, replacement for Stephen Breyer. Uh, Biden has said, of course, that he will put a black woman on the Supreme Court. um, And here is who he may pick, according to CNN. The overall leader uh, seems to be Kentanji Brown Jackson, uh, you know, has all the qualifications that you'd expect from a Supreme Court justice, at least recently. You've got the uh, Ivy League education. You've got the clerking for uh, a Supreme Court justice. You've got the big things uh, that you might expect to go on. Uh, so she's one of the nominees. Uh, Leandra Kruger, I think she's the one. She's one of the NAACP lawyers. Uh, she could be a potential pick. Uh, J. Michelle Childs is a name that I, it seems like they're grooming for a potential Supreme Court pick maybe down the road. But right now, probably not that likely. Um, So how do you know who's in the lead? Well, you could definitely read the tea leaves uh, from the media. But where do people put their money? It's a nice way to predict it. We don't have polls or something. I mean, polls wouldn't matter in this particular case. Only one person's opinion really matters here. And it's a guy who can't form sentences. So what do we do? I mean, what do you do? You try to figure it out. Uh, Predict it has a uh, market. You can uh, bet on who's going to win. I mean, invest in who may win this particular uh, Supreme Court uh, seat. Uh, uh, Jack Brown Jackson is at 68% right now. Uh, Kruger at 22 and Childs at 12. Kamala Harris is at 3% right now. Now, look, they're not going to name Kamala Harris uh, to the Supreme Court. That's not going to happen. Um, they don't even like her. So <laughs> the last thing they're going to do is put her in there. But again, like, here's another lesson. This is such an amazing thing. The Biden administration select said publicly they were going to pick a person of color a woman of color for the supreme court job uh actually a black woman specifically for that i think it was just a a woman of color for the vice presidential job 
And they locked themselves into these things in advance. And what happened with the, with the vice presidential job? Did that work? Did, is that the process you want to emulate? You want to repeat? You got Kamala Harris out of that. Is that working out for you? I mean, it makes absolutely no sense. You just tried this last time and it blew up in your face. And now you're going to go out there and pick again based on gender and skin color. This is the opposite of what we need in this country. And that's kind of been the entire presidency of Joe Biden, a giant collection of the opposite of what we need. And over and over again, we're seeing this kind of come to pass. Uh, It's been ugly. It's been awful. But it is the reality that we currently exist in, at least for a short time. And that's kind of one of the two main takeaways from this. Number one, I covered this a little bit last night. I won't go into incredible detail, but you can go uh, watch that because I, I, I went into a lot of the reasons why this is happening. But number one, this is just an admission of defeat. The Democrats, as you do, know this is not going well. They know it. You know it. We all know it. They know they're going to get shellacked in the election unless something changes. Now, the Republicans, as I've said over and over again, can very well screw this up. They're good at it. They probably will figure out a way to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. I would not be surprised whatsoever. But the Democrats are on the ball enough to realize this isn't going well. The American people think this is a disaster. They are correct. And come January of 2023, we are not going to be able to get a Supreme Court justice through. So we better do something right now. And they are. Breyer stepping down. He was obviously pressured. Uh, They pressured this old man to, to leave his job that he's worked for his entire life. And I guess we're supposed to celebrate that. Uh, So but that's the reason it's an admission of defeat. They know they're about to get shellacked or they believe they're about to get shellacked. So they are moving early to make sure a Ruth Bader Ginsburg thing doesn't happen. The other part of this, though, is probably more upsetting to many of you. Um, I could be wrong on this, but I'm going to throw it out there anyway. You see one of these things happen, a big Supreme Court nomination and What you want, I think, as a conservative, as a person who likes, who watches maybe, you know, watches the blaze, listens to podcasts, listens to talk radio, you want your people to come out and go after this and, uh, you know, do everything you can to sink this nomination. Because, look, whoever, whatever one of these people that I just mentioned that gets this job is going to be terrible. They're going to be wrong on every major issue for the next 30 or 40 years. This is an important decision. But I I come to you today with bad news on that front in that I just don't think the Republicans are going to go after the the nominee like that. I think it's going to be a different um, a different appearance of their opposition. Now, that does not mean you're not going to get any bad things said. It does not mean they're not going to go look through their records and try to find things that might sink whoever this nominee might be. I think they will. You'll hear Ted Cruz with a, a lengthy dissertation about how bad this particular Uh, Supreme Court nominee is. You'll hear an eloquent um, constitutional critique by Mike Lee. You'll get that. You'll get uh, a few people here and there standing up and saying this is this can't happen. And you'll get most Republicans to vote against this nominee. But I think there's a calculation here and it's important to note. So we at least have our expectations set correctly. You can keep pushing for this. And I don't think that's a bad idea. But What I think you're going to see here is a lot more Gorsuch than Kavanaugh. You're going to see the Republicans give some sort of critique here. They'll push back. They're not going to just say, you know, they're not going to get 80 votes for this nominee. But 
in reality, I think what the Republicans look at is they say we've got a year, less than a year now, what, nine months, basically, to hold together the current state of affairs. The current state of affairs means they've got close to 300 seats probably in the House and they probably have 54 or 55 senators. I haven't done the math on that exactly, but it's it's winning control of the House and the Senate. It blocks nominees for two years while Biden is there. Uh, It does a lot of really important things. It makes it possible for them to stop a lot of the things that Joe Biden is doing. And on the other hand, really, really passionately fighting against this nominee does what exactly? I mean, they've got the votes already. You have no procedural way to stop it. Joe Manchin is going to vote for this candidate. Kirsten Sinema is going to vote for this nominee. I'm sorry to break it to you. They're not losing Democrats on this one, you know, outside of really crazy circumstances. And I mean, like, not one murder she's caught doing. I mean, multiple murders. She, this nominee would have to be a serial killer. It had to be like a series to the Dexter uh, saga would have to be with this nominee on film, murdering, torturing, and really enjoying it. If she just seemed indifferent to the murder, I think she'd still get Manchin's vote. But if she was really celebratory in the murder, in a lustful way, perhaps, maybe, maybe Manchin would, would vote no. But I really don't think so. So you're going to have to, you, you might get, I don't think you're even going to get 50 votes against this nominee. My guess is something in the neighborhood of how she was uh, pushed through last time, 53-47. I think you might even get more than 53 here. Would not be stunned at all. And, you know, the idea is it's not going to change the balance of the court. And we don't want to do to our chances in the next election what Democrats did when they went after Kavanaugh. Now, no one is suggesting we want the Republicans to falsely accuse the Democratic nominee of rape. I don't want that. That's that's bad. I don't care if it stops a nomination or not. It's still the wrong thing to do. And I know this is a weird thing to say in politics these days. But no, you don't falsely accuse your opponents of rape. I've got this one weird standard, sort of a hang up of mine. Don't think it's a good idea. But even that full out Republican opposition, I don't think you're going to see it here, frankly. I think what you're going to see here is is much more much more similar to what we saw with Gorsuch, where there was they. I mean, the Democrats said all sorts of bad things about Gorsuch, but in the end, you know, it went through. It wasn't until Kavanaugh came up uh, that's when they really, really went after a nominee. They didn't really say that much about Barrett either. It was Kavanaugh. That was their all-out attempt, and they saw it burned them, and they decided eh, this time let's not do the same. Would have been weird to accuse Amy Coney Barrett of rape, but I would not put it past the Democrats. So here's the state of affairs right now. You're going to have probably a pretty quick uh, nomination and decision process. They think by February we'll get the nominee. Then you'll have a pretty quick process. My guess is this is all done by summer. I mean, this is going to be, I think, a pretty quick one. But does it really change your world other than locking in a terrible justice for the next 30 or 40 years? Hopefully, hopefully, though, we, uh, we will see a change in control coming up, and this will be the only nomination that goes this way. We're going to talk a little bit about Bitcoin and crypto coming up here in just a second. Uh, Tika Tawari, uh, when he first started about uh, talking about blockchain like 2016 you know people thought he was nuts you know no one even really understood it at that point 
uh, at least in the mainstream. And they didn't really understand how groundbreaking this technology was going to be. Uh, Tika uh, has came on the show a bunch of times back then when as there was a, uh, up, a rising up of the crypto prices. And then there was that crash in 2017. We're seeing a little bit of that now going on. And everyone kind of bailed on it. It was no longer trendy. And Tika was like, it's going to 40,000. And I remember him coming on and being like, I don't know, 40,000 seems pretty high. Here we are. Now we're at 40,000. Everyone's like, I can't believe it's crashed all the way to 40,000. This is a a huge market, a $3 trillion uh, asset class. We're talking about tons and tons of money from big names, big institutions going into this now. You don't need to commit a lot of money for the potential of large gains. And sometimes the wins are so big, they'll erase any losses 100 times over. We've seen this happen over and over again. If you haven't bought Bitcoin, it's not too late. Do your own research, but don't wait. Sign up for Tika Tuari's uh, Palm Beach Letter. It's now at BigTReport.com. The Tika Tuari Palm Beach Letter. Get it now. BigTReport.com. Learn, understand crypto. BigTReport.com. I'm happy to welcome Natalie Brunel to the program. She's a video contributor for Bitcoin Magazine and the host of Coin Stories podcast, which you should subscribe to right now, wherever you get your podcasts. Natalie, how's it going? Hey there. Thanks so much for having me. Looking forward to chatting. Yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, For people who don't know you, don't know Coin Stories, can you kind of give us your origin story? How did you get here? Sure. So I'm actually a recovering mainstream media journalist. (laughs) I was that network broadcast uh, journalist for 10 years. I worked my way up from the local markets to national. Uh, I was an investigative reporter for a chunk of my career. And, you know, really this kind of led me to how I discovered Bitcoin. I was actually reporting on you know, all the all the general news that we report on as local news reporters back in 2017. And I heard about this new piece of technology and I got very, very interested because as a reporter, I was also covering some of the biggest crises that were unfolding on a societal level. You know, poverty exploding, homelessness, civil unrest, crime, public corruption. And I, I never really understood why these problems were ballooning, why in America these problems were getting bigger and bigger, the wealth gap. And when I st- started to study Bitcoin, I became very passionate about it because it addresses a lot of these fundamental problems. And I finally connected the dots that a lot of these problems had to do with our broken monetary system and some of the things that we never really learned in school, economic theory that I was never exposed to before. And I saw Bitcoin as this ray of light and sort of this uh, symbol of hope. And so I decided to leave my journalism career to basically dedicate my life to educating people on Bitcoin and having sort of a a media um, platform to be able to discuss the topics surrounding our, our money system here in this country and why Bitcoin fixes a lot of the problems. Yeah, you know, it's, it's interesting. I think a lot of people come to it that same way, where you look at particularly inflation as a, as a major issue. It's the number one issue to Americans right now in recent polls. It's the biggest problem they're facing. And here's a, a currency, an idea where that can't really happen. You've got 21 million and that's it. And I think particularly from people who are more on the conservative side, that's how they come to Bitcoin. They see it as like, Okay, we know these policies are really bad when it comes to inflationary fiat currency. Uh, Here's a way to push back about it uh, against that and, and sort of pull ourselves out of the system. 
Exactly. I mean, I never really thought about inflation years ago, and certainly not before I heard about Bitcoin and before this pandemic crisis really inflated our economy to a level that I believe we can't recover from. Um, we have a lot of problems stemming from the concentration of both political power and the concentration of economic power. We have central banks that essentially can expand our money supply. The, the money printer has been going burr for, for far too long, even before the pandemic, but just accelerated uh, by the COVID um, issues in, in our country and responding to the, the economic shutdown. And at this point, um, you know, I see Bitcoin as this sort of escape hatch from a system that is going insolvent. It is insolvent, really. I mean, if you look to the debt the debt crisis that we're in, the debt spiral, we will never be able to pay that debt back. We keep kicking the can down the road and placing that burden on younger and younger generations. Millennials like myself, we feel like we can't afford a home, we can't afford these stocks, we can't afford really anything these days because of the policies that were created by the generations before us with probably good intentions, mind you, that it have resulted with unintended consequences. And now here we are, we have a massive blaring wealth gap. It's getting bigger and bigger the more that they money print. And I think people don't even understand what that means. What is money printing? What is quantitative easing? Why is the mere whisper of hiking interest rates crushing the markets? And Bitcoin addresses a lot of these because, as you mentioned, it is a disinflationary monetary policy unlike ours. It is a fixed supply that once all the 21 million Bitcoin are mined, that is it. And it is the most powerful technology network in the world, distributed with no central point of failure. It is controlled by no one but the network. It is run by the people, for the people. And I just think it's an incredible piece of technology that I hope ushers in a more sound economy for the future. You know, I, that's, it's, that's put so well. And there's so much promise there. There, there. There's a promise of being able to stop the things that we all complain about. I think we all complain about the government doesn't do the things that we like. This system here is screwed up. That system there is screwed up. This gives people an opportunity to, to pull themselves out of those, uh, those, those constant pressures and headwinds that we all want to fight back against. And I think, you know, as you, as you watch people develop, and I know you talk to a lot of them, you watch people develop this, this space. It's still pretty foreign, I think, to the average person. They don't really fully understand it. They, they don't fully understand, other than maybe kind of a gambling type investment, what this can do. What do you see as the long-term promise of cryptocurrency? Yeah, so and I, I do want to address that because that's one of the reasons why I decided to dedicate my career and leave a really great, successful career in journalism to do exactly this because education is so important and Bitcoin is really difficult to understand because you have to understand the nuances of our monetary system. You have, have to kind of peel back the layers on the history of how we got to this point of our paper money that's not backed by anything and, and why central governments have so much control and authority, why we have a Federal Reserve. And once you start to understand those problems, you can really appreciate um, the fix that Bitcoin offers. So I don't see so much of a, a, a hope and future in cryptocurrency. That's the term that everyone throws around and, and, and everything's under the, this one umbrella. I actually see Bitcoin is very, very different because Bitcoin is that decentralized, scarce asset. The other ones don't don't have those uh, components and properties. Bitcoin is distributed around the world. It has, you know, a network of thousands of computers and thousands of people who are backing up and securing this monetary asset. And there's not going to be more printed someday so that it could dilute the value of each of your bitcoins. And I'm just excited about the idea that people can work and have their 
money appreciate in value because today we live in a world where our money is like a melting ice cube. If you put it in the bank, it's going to lose value. Inflation that they're telling us, that's not re- that's not the real number, 7%. I don't believe that for a second. We have gas going up by 40%, groceries going up by 25%, real estate going up by 30%. I mean, it's really crushing the people that are in the middle and at the bottom of our economy most. And it's making the asset holders and the, the big CEOs richer and richer. And that exerts social pressure on the whole system. And everyone's frustrated and there's a polarization of our society, which is why we have these like two very polarized political sides, I think. And Bitcoin, again, addresses that. Bitcoin is just, it's it's a technology network that can usher in a an economic uh, freedom and economic future that's based on something that's more sound and more normal and, and more based on supply and demand, which it should be, as opposed to manipulation of the currency. Mm. Uh, let's talk a little bit to people who maybe are just getting involved in crypto. Maybe they got kind of this last wave. I, uh, I'm an old timey uh, um, Bitcoin person. Uh, you know, I, the first time I bought Bitcoin, it immediately dropped by about 70 percent uh, within like two months. Uh, however, that fall was from $600 to $200. Uh, so I, I lived through that. I lived through the 2017 thing. We went through 2018 and 2019. I mean, people forget Bitcoin is up 12 or 13 X in the last two years. I mean, this is it's still it's still been an amazing ride. But when you're doing this for a long time, these things become normal to you. Uh, you, know, you understand there's going to be 50 percent drops here and there. And that's just part of this crazy ride to someone who's just getting involved in this, though. I mean, I see the people panicking online. I've talked to them. You know, the Wall Street Journal did a report where they said someone who bought one hundred and fifty dollars of of crypto now only has sixty dollars of crypto and they they sold it again. I'm using the crypto term because I don't remember which currency it was. Um, but like. There's panic out there from people who don't understand how this works. Can you talk people off the ledge a little bit? Yeah, sure. And that's that's a really great point. I mean, Bitcoin is up a thousand percent from its March 2020 lows when when the pandemic crashed the markets. And you're right, it is a very volatile asset. But I would rather have a volatile asset that is going up and appreciating over the years as opposed to a stable asset like the dollar, which is just crashing and purchasing power over the years. So you have to be able to stomach the volatility and the drawdowns if you're you've been in it like you have and I have. They're not new. Sometimes it loses 50 to 70 percent of its value. But look at the long term chart. You have to zoom out and look at this as a long term investment because no one that has ever bought Bitcoin and held it for at least four years has lost money, which is incredibly powerful because there are very few places right there where you can put put your money and not feel like you're completely gambling or risking it. I truly believe that Bitcoin um, is a savings technology and something that you can use to plan for your future. And I don't look at my Bitcoin as something I'm going to trade or sell. I'm not trying to time the market. I'm trying to have time in the market so that I can watch it appreciate and hopefully hopefully accumulate wealth for my family. I mean, what American doesn't want to accumulate wealth or to accumulate money that goes up in value so that they can take care of their family, so that they can pay for education, for housing? I mean, these are basic core things that touch on just the universal needs that any of us have. And I think it's so, so hard to achieve the American dream these days. It's the reason my parents came here from a communist country. I'm from Poland. My family came here for the American dream and the American dream should be achievable. And with Bitcoin, I think it, there's sort of a renaissance of the American dream. Uh, it's really interesting you say that. You, you came here from Poland um, uh, you're, and we've met so many people over the years who came from foreign, uh, from uh, former com- communist countries. And there's a real clarity with people who came 
from those nations when they were beaten down by communism for a really long time. There's a really a special understanding of freedom and the ability to live your own life and have sound money and have, uh, you know, your your life not be built on lies. Um, is that the experience of your family? Did, was there like a real vivid understanding of those differences? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I hear stories of my parents growing up and it was just so difficult. There was no sense of social mobility and um, the people would have to stand in line for basic necessities. You know, it's that idea of you, you will own nothing and you will be happy. I mean, this is a very... Um, it's it's scary to think that we could be headed in that direction in this country. And I worry about that as power continues to um, concentrate with a very few amount of people. And they're exerting that, that power and taking away people's freedoms today. And Bitcoin is really the antithesis of that. I mean, my parents came here because they wanted economic freedom and they wanted their kids to be able to move up in, in social classes by hard work and education. And that should be, you know, that's that should be allowed for everybody. I think if you work hard and you're a good person and you contribute to society, then you should be able to make enough money to take care of your family. And today, unfortunately, because of our system and how it's benefited the the few at the expense of the many, it, it's no longer set up to allow the American dream to to thrive and to prosper. And so I really hope that something changes that. And I, I don't know if Bitcoin hadn't been invented, I think I would have a very jaded uh, dystopian view of the future. And I think with Bitcoin now, I have a lot of hope for the future. <laughs> uh, Natalie, before you go, give me a minute on, on coin stories. You talk to people, uh, you have you know lengthy conversations with people who are important players in this space. How do you pick them? Give me a little, give me a minute on the podcast. Yeah, sure. So I interview thought leaders and visionaries who are in the Bitcoin space who came from all different types of industries and backgrounds, but ultimately came to the conclusion that Bitcoin is the answer to a lot of our problems. And I speak to them not only about their backgrounds, their career paths, what led them uh, to Bitcoin, but also why they have so much conviction about it and, and just some of the headlines that surround it. Things like you know, China banning uh, Bitcoin mining or, you know, regulations coming in. We talk about all sorts of headlines and topics and everything kind of funnels back to both Bitcoin, but also the issues on a macroeconomic level that our country is facing and where we're going to go from here. All right. Natalie Brunel, host of uh, Coin Stories, of course, a video contributor to, uh, for Bitcoin magazine and host of the Coin Stories podcast. Be sure to go and subscribe now. Natalie, thanks so much for coming on the program. Thanks so much for having me. Let's just say you're going to go buy a house with some Bitcoin. What are you going to do? The market's going crazy. You don't know how to how to how to do. I mean, the pricing is out of out of it's gone insane. Right. I mean, this market has been up and up and up and up and up when it comes to housing. We know at some point that's going to change. We don't know when you need to have someone who's an expert on the real estate market when you are buying or selling a home. Are you selling your home for too little? Are you taking uh, the first offer? Well, maybe you should wait it out. When you're making an offer to buy a home, are you reaching a little bit too much? You need someone who understands this to be able to talk to you uh, with real honest uh, words about what your future is going to be when you're buying or selling a home. Remember, this is one of the most important financial transactions you will ever make in your entire life. Realestateagentsitrust.com is the place to go to find that person in your area, no matter where you are. Screened real estate agents, the best in your area, realestateagentsitrust.com. It's realestateagentsitrust.com.
Whatever you do, don't bring your phones to China. Another piece of advice, don't bring yourself to China. Uh, Olympians are hearing this advice from the government. In fact, no matter where they are, it seems like they're getting this advice. Get a burner phone. Like go, when you're going to the Olympics, uh, don't bring your regular phone. Bring a burner phone. Uh, Axios is reporting the Netherlands, Great Britain, Canada, Germany, Finland, Australia, and the U.S. have all warned their athletes, hey, uh, anything you bring over there, they're going to see, they're going to track, they're probably going to take all of your information. Just get used to it. Uh, There's been some efforts to uh, reverse engineer what's going on digitally to figure out how this is happening. And they're showing that, you know, of course, as we all know, the Chinese are spying on everybody who's there. They're, of course, denying this, but it is uh, going on. Um, We also have an update on the Spotify situation. We talked about this, I think, yesterday. I can't remember if uh, if the decision had gone through yet. But Neil Young said, hey, I don't want Joe Rogan. Uh, to be uh, on the on Spotify. So if it's either me or Joe Rogan. Well, Spotify chose, and they chose wisely. They chose Joe Rogan. Uh, so Neil, Ro- uh, Neil Young is gone from Spotify. And it's amazing to see this because Neil Young was a guy who was against the war, fought back against the government. He did a tour in 2006 called the Free Speech Tour. And now he's trying to get Joe Rogan kicked off of Spotify because, I don't know, he had a doctor on he didn't like. This is bonkers stuff. What a weird time we live in. What kind of person? Seriously, there are tons of people that uh, disagree with me on stuff. I I hear about them all the time. They're always blabbing on Twitter, running their mouths. You know what I do? I don't care. I mean, what what kind of world do you live in where you care about these types of things? Who cares what other people are saying on podcasts? How could that possibly enter in to your interest area? Who cares? I, there's liberals saying all sorts of insane stuff every single day. Are we, are we going to get all fired up and get them kicked off? Who cares what they're saying? I don't care what they're saying. I, I don't know. Is my life that good that I can live my life and not care about what nonsense people like disagree with are saying? Is, is your life that boring? Don't you have enough in your life to fill it with things that you care about other than this? I mean, look, Neil Young doesn't look like he has much of a life, frankly, at this point. Maybe this is all he's doing. But to try to get some other guy who happens to disagree with you on a treatment for a virus kicked off the air or or off the podcast platform, uh, I mean, it's just ridiculous. Now, there's a couple of elements to this. Number one, it's not like Spotify, which is a European company, by the way, is saying, hey, we just really agree with ivermectin. We're on board. Uh, you know, that's not that's not the stance of Spotify here. They're just paying one hundred million dollars to Joe Rogan and they have to get their money back. So they make zero dollars from Neil Young, zero dollars. So that's part of it. The other part of it, though, is that if Neil Young can get a bunch of his people, you know, people, other artists around him who actually do have fans uh, left, um, you know, you know, if, I don't know, Beyonce and, you know, Jay-Z and blah, blah, I don't know, whoever else, whatever rando would jump on the bandwagon. If they started pulling their stuff from Spotify, it would get interesting because this is not a principled decision by Spotify. They're just chasing the dollars like I suppose, that, you know, I suppose uh, they they should. Um, but it's better than nothing, at least. I don't know if they hold out in the long run, though. Let's see how much they really stand for free speech on their free speech tour. That may we may find out. Um, also, I want to give you um, this is not um, a, a money grab. What I'm about to tell you, this is a principal decision. When you make little Debbie cakes, they should go into ice cream. 
something I've been living with for a very long time. I've known this to be true. I think you've known this to be true. There are Little Debbie ice cream flavors coming out. Are you ready for them? This is very exciting. Oatmeal cream pie ice cream, vanilla ice cream, soft oatmeal cookie pieces, and a hint of molasses. Cosmic brownies, brownie batter ice cream filled with mini rainbow chips and brownie pieces. Zebra cakes, white cake ice cream with yellow cake pieces and milk chocolate fudge swirl. Honey buns, honey bun flavored ice cream with glazed honey bun pieces and a sweet cinnamon swirl. Strawberry shortcake rolls, white cake ice cream, yellow cake pieces, tart strawberry swirl. I'm in on all of these. Swiss cake rolls, oh, chocolatey cake ice cream with chocolate cake pieces and a swirl of whipped cream. And nutty bars, peanut butter ice cream filled with chocolatey waffle cone pieces and a thick fudge swirl. You think this empire has collapsed? You don't think we're a superpower? Explain that. You know, there's tons of misinformation out there. You know, if you have kids, how fraught raising them is right now. Because how do you get them to the right sources of information, to ask the right questions? To be, how do you get them to be inquisitive and not just rolled over by the, just the wave of media and misinformation and other sources? Uh, you need to get them to think for themselves. Uh, Annie's Genius Box is a great way to do this. If your kids are young, my kids are, uh, let's see, uh, about to turn nine and 10. And this is a great idea for your kids if they're particularly in this age group. Each month, uh, your kids will get a new box bursting with three hands-on activities to explore exciting STEM-themed experiments like um, geology, chemistry, aerodynamics. It's perfect for kids age 7 to 12. And the Genius Box can empower your kids' imagination and critical thinking skills. They get a top-secret mission envelope. It's a lot of fun. Uh, every box, will get, they'll get that. They'll be able to walk through amazing projects each month. It's something really cool for you to do with your kids. Or maybe just, if you know, if your kid's looking for a project to do on their own, this is a great idea. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. You'll see 50% off your first box. Go there now. Check it out. Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. It's Annie'sKitClubs.com slash stew. Stu. You can review this program on podcast apps. Yes, you can do it. Five stars is the appropriate number of stars. This one comes in perfect. All the stars. Whatever. Except not whatever. I actually look forward to this show and always learn a lot and laugh a lot. Can't ask for more than that. Yeah. I mean, look, I can't. I don't have anything more to give you. So even if you asked for it, I couldn't do anything about it. Uh, Facebook is a place you can uh, comment on the show as well, as well as YouTube. This one comes in talking about uh, the Great Reset and all this woke stuff. Protection rackets. That's what it's like. Exactly what I was thinking while Glenn was discussing how the big banks are pressuring everyone to fall in line. This is something we're going to be fighting for a long time. Jody writes, I wish the racist policies would be stopped. It just blows me away that criteria based on skin color isn't considered racist unless it would be pro-white. It should never, never be done, ever. We've gotten so pushed so far back, it is sickening. It's true. It's true. Never, ever make a decision based on skin color in your entire life, ever. It's a rule you should be able to keep. And unfortunately, the left at this point can't seem to keep it. Our president is admitting he's making decisions based on skin color. Jimmy writes, Stacey Abrams will get the nomination to the Supreme Court. Black woman, and they owe her. I say this tongue in cheek, but I don't think it's completely out of the question. Oh, God, you're going to give me nightmares. And then if she ever got she ever left, she would have to. I mean, can you imagine her saying they counted the votes wrong when there was only nine of them? That would be that would be a magic trick. I would love to see even CNN try to pull off. 
Okay, so here's what happened. A Nigerian influencer who is very, very wealthy uh, decided he was going to give his kid a birthday present for his sixth birthday. What did he give him? Obviously, a mansion. Now, this kid is being called the first and youngest billionaire in the world. He's now nine years old, and he's showing his pictures off on Instagram. And you see him here with a, he's got like a Lamborghini behind him in one picture. He's on a private jet in another. He's wearing some cool outfit uh, next to a bunch of nice cars. His feet don't even touch the floor in the car. It's completely ridiculous. But if you were wondering, like, where the money that your grandpa got scammed with for, to go to a Nigerian prince, like, where was that going all this time? Now we know. It was this kid. Uh, so, by the way, uh, the, um, uh, his dad is now saying uh, he's uh, being faced with criminal charges uh, for laundering money, which is a stunner. I would have never seen it coming. By the way, I tweeted the image of uh, this mug, uh, the Colin Kaepernick mug, yesterday and went viral. Uh, you can get yours at Don't miss your anti-Colin Kaepernick shirt. StuDoesMerch.com. <laughs> 